The engines were at full power and the aircraft climbed up to about 100, 110 feet off the ground and then we weren't climbing anymore. Very quickly knew that I was likely going to die. I was looking down at a airplane that had crashed. Right then, it hit me. I'm not my body. There's my body, but here's me. I've always been fascinated with these near-death experiences, and by near-death, I don't mean like they almost got hit by a car. I mean like dead, dead. No heartbeat, in some cases, no brain waves, and I'm talking 30 minutes, 90 minutes. At first, I was very skeptical of these, but I'll tell you, after studying over a 1,000 of these near-death experiences, it's changed my mind. The colors were beyond anything we could ever experience here. I was seeing a lot of colors that I didn't have prior experience in knowing about. 3,000 shades of red, and I can see them all. Blind people, when they have a near-death experience, see, they come back saying the same things. How do you put that together? A sense of peace that came down right beside me. An energy that was to her love. Much more real than I feel at this moment or any other time in my life. Scientists postulate there must be at least five dimensions to make sense of some of the things science is discovering. Is it so crazy to think about what comes after this life? All right, good morning, church. Good to see you guys. Um, what happens when we die? That's the subject uh, for this, this morning. And, you know, as, us as Christians... Uh, we know the Bible definitely speaks into this subject, and we know that the passage from this life into the presence of the Lord is this thing called physical, physical death. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, he uses this phrase that um, while we are at home in the body, in other words, in this physical body, he says that we are away from the Lord. In other words, what do you mean away from the Lord? I feel like I, I know the Lord. Well, what he means is that we're in a faith relationship with God, that there is a sense in which our relationship is not completely, totally whole. In other, in other places in the New Testament, he writes, it's like it's through a stained glass. It's kind of like we know dimly. Um, but then we will be known and we will know as we are known. Uh, and he said, it'll be full. We'll be in the presence of God and we'll be known. We'll be in a, in a, different, uh, in a, in a different type of reality in his presence. He says, so it's, and in some way, it's, we are away from the Lord. And then later in verse 8 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, we would rather... Be away from the body, in other words, leave this body, die, and be at home with the Lord. In other words, that presence is the thing that we are to yearn for and, and delight in and look forward to um, much more than the, this life that we are currently, currently living. Uh, so in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he goes on to say, and this is his whole sort of life summary. This is the way he views life. He says, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Um, and then a powerful phrase, who, who, would, who in the world would say to die is gain? <laughs> I mean, a Christian. A Christian would. Um, and, and what he's saying is while I exist in this physical body, to live is opportunities for Christ. To live is a, a life that honors Christ because he's died for me. But, but to die is to win. 
In other words, I live my life in a way that I cannot lose because I cannot lose. He has me in life and he will have me in death. And I can't lose. I can live free. I can live free. And even goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 55, he says this in sort of a celebration. Where, O death, is your victory? You can't beat me. (laughs) Why? Because you couldn't beat Christ and he has me. And therefore, this thing called death that looms in front of us and, and, and sort of hovers over our head all of our lives, where is the victory? And then he says, where, O death, is your sting? In other words, Jesus came and took the stinger out of this thing called death. And then in Hebrews, the Hebrew writer in chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says, since the children have flesh and blood, in other words, we're in this body, he too shared in their humanity. Jesus became a man for one very important reason, so that by his death... He might break the power of him who holds the power of death. In other words, keeps that looming, fearful thing over our heads. That is the devil. And free those. Jesus came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Jesus came in the physical, and he, uh, in the, in the physical body, was, rose from the dead so that we would be free from death being afraid of it and living afraid of it. That we don't have to be afraid of it. This is the reason that Christ came, says the Hebrew writer here. Jesus told Martha something very interesting on this subject. He said, he was talking about Lazarus, her brother, who has passed away. And in verse 5, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He says, the one who believes in me, he said this phrase, will live even though they die. So in other words, you die, but, but you'll live even though you die. So think about that. And then whoever who lives and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now, if you're exegeting a text properly, you go through very rigid structure and interpretation. And what Jesus says is you live even though you die, but you never die. And you're like, okay, so which is it? Okay. Well, he puts the tension there, and here's where the tension is solved when you understand death for the Christian. That yes, you die a physical death, but you keep living because you're in me. You keep living. You don't die. You die, yes, physically, but you don't die. You live. Um, When death comes, we do not cease to exist like before we were born. We continue to exist. We are made eternal beings. And so um, today we're going to look at this particular aspect. Death through the lenses of near-death experiences. People that have come close to dying um, and they lived to tell about it. Modern medicine has resuscitated them. And our guest today who... um, uh, who's going to be with us today that I wanted to interview. I've been wanting to do this for a very long time, and so I'm so glad that you're here here today, um, is Dr. Jeffrey Long. I want to read to you a little bit about uh, Dr. Jeffrey. Uh, he's a medical doctor specializing in the practice of radiation oncology in Houma, Louisiana. Dr. Long founded the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation in 1998. And as a result of his research, he is the author of New York Times bestseller, Evidence of the afterlife. I think we have a little picture of his book there. The Science of Near-Death Experiences. 
As a leading near-death experience researcher and a medical doctor, Jeff has appeared on national media, including O'Reilly Factor, NBC Today, ABC with Peter Jennings, The Dr. Oz Show, The History Channel, The Learning Channel, the National and National Geographic. He has also appeared on Fox News Houston and at the New York Academy of Sciences. So right now, would you uh, join me in welcoming Dr. Jeffrey Long? You're here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. So I had the task this past week, because this is very interesting to me. I heard you give a, give a talk a couple of years ago right here in Austin, and I was blown away, all right? My wife and I were there together, and we were just like, what in the world? Um, and I had so many questions I want to ask. And, I, I, and so I, I thought, you know, he's going to be here. Let's do this conference. He is going to make a presentation at the conference this afternoon that will be a lot of things that you're going to hear, um, we're going to have to just give summaries this morning. So I hope this sort of whets your appetite a little bit to come back to the conference because we have multiple speakers on different aspects of near-death experiences that are going to be very rich. He has a very rich um, content uh, that he's going to give this afternoon. I encourage you to come back. We're, but I said, you know what, I just want to get him in front of the people. I want to ask him, throw you a couple of softballs. Uh, so I put some questions together uh, this past week. And also, I got my own curiosities uh, that I wanted to ask, you know, that maybe I, didn't, I haven't been able to see on, on the surface of it. But uh, Dr. Long, we're really, really excited about having you here today. What I thought we'd start off with is tell us a little bit of your story. How did you get involved in uh, chasing down near-death experiences, and how did you get in? How, how were you inter introduced to the subject? Yeah, sure. As a as a medical doctor, uh, my medical specialty is radiation oncology, use of radiation to treat cancer. So many decades ago, I was, and this is before the internet era. Uh, we were looking at like bound volumes of j medical journals. So that's how you looked up articles. And I was dutifully looking through the Journal of the American Medical Association about a cancer-related article, and completely by accident, I found an article that had in its title, Near-Death Experience. So I said, well, what's that? You're either dead or you're not dead. That doesn't make any sense. And I'd never heard about it in medical school. So puzzled, I stopped, read the article, and was immediately fascinated. Here was a cardiologist who'd studied patients that had cardiac arrest, had near-death experiences when consciousness should be absolutely impossible, with remarkably consistently described experiences. And I, I was so fascinated, I broke off looking at my cancer-related article and read some references. Remember thinking prophetically, geez, why aren't more people doing research on this fascinating topic? Well, several years later, I had a friend from, uh, and his wife visit from college. They, she shared her dramatic near-death experience, and I was hooked. So I said, I need to new, learn more about this, and that's where I set up the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, nderf.org, over 20 years ago and immediately had the best scientific developed questions that I could so that people could not only share a narrative of their experience but also answer some very specific questions so that I could learn. I literally at that point in time, I'll admit it, I was a skeptic, I said, prove it to me. Prove its reality through the original source of evidence, those that had near-death experiences. Well, very quickly I saw the pattern and realized uh, near-death experiences are certainly for real, and that led to my several decades of research. We now have over 3,500 near-death experiences posted on that website. It's by far the largest publicly accessible collection of near-death experiences and is by far the largest research database available in the world. So it's been very exciting to research that, and I look forward to sharing that later this afternoon when I talk. I mean, I'm just so grateful that that 
sparked your interest and you started chasing that because, yeah. uh, I mean, I think a lot of people probably wouldn't even know yeah. that these things actually are, are, are happening. Um, so uh, laying the found work here, what I, what I learned very quickly is you have to define what you mean yeah. by near-death experience. What exactly is a near-death experience? Sure. There's some different thinking about that in, in the media and even scholarly publications, but for my research, I have a very straightforward concept of near-death experience. You're near death, you're so physically compromised that you're unconscious or clinically dead with no heartbeat. And at the time consciousness should be impossible, there is an experience. You have the experience, a lucid organized event happening at that time, constituting a near-death experience. Good. Well, are near-death experiences recorded in medicine? I know that uh, you might have accounts that, that took place, but I mean, are these, are these things that are actually recorded in medicine by doctors when they hear stories of people Maybe they come back and share it. Sure. Is this something that you can find? Right. In addition to our over 3,500 near-death experiences posted, uh, there's literally hundreds of articles published in some of the leading scholarly, scientific, and medical journals. Uh, many of them include case reports of near-death experiences. So uh, probably at this, by this time, I'd estimate there's probably, including our own website, probably at least uh, seven or 8,000 published near-death experiences floating around. So this, this has been around a long time by scores of investigators doing this, and it's, it's certainly part of mainstream science today. So in probably 20 years, plus years of doing ministry and studying apologetics, seminary, um, I was kind of startled, I mean, even shocked that a couple of years ago when I heard your talk, I don't know that I've ever heard much about near-death experiences <laughs> um, as an apologetics argument. I, I think that maybe I've seen a, a little of this and that, but there seems to be an increase in the interest yeah. in the subject matter. Um, do you feel like that's the case? I think there's no question about that. Good point, Key. I mean, how can you not be fascinated about what happens when you die? And you can look at the Bible, but are there other sources that, that inform that or supplement what's in the Bible? And near-death experiences do that. So now that near-death experiences, and it's been 46 years since the initial book describing near-death experience, Dr. Raymond Moody's book, Life After Life, 46 years later, uh, there's certain, you know, in thousands of uh, recorded cases and, and hundreds of scholarly studies reported, people are now accepting near-death experiences. They're much more quickly aware of, people around them are aware of it. So that helps people to feel more confident now than ever recently, in recent years, that they've had a near-death experience, they know that, they can read about it from a lot of sources. People around them know about that. They're no longer spooked out. They just, even the healthcare staff now, much more knowledgeable about near-death experience will say, oh, well, that was a near-death experience. So people are more willing to share it than they ever were before. They're more willing to learn about it, some of the lessons in their own near-death experience, and, and certainly more willing to share it with the world. That's good. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you have a research foundation. You've been collecting stories. And how many, how many? Yeah, we have over 3,500 near-death experiences over 20 years. Uh, so how do you uh, go about, just for everyone here, getting these stories and actually, um, you know, what, what's the process someone has to go through to submit yeah. it? Can you just take everything you hear? Or right. like, what's the process someone has to go through to submit a story? Yeah, we, uh, we don't take everything we hear. So the <laughs> question so the, uh, uh, we're very, very careful to make sure we have only valid near-death experiences. Uh, we have a vetting process. We have myself, my webmaster is my wife, a licensed attorney. 
We both review these. If there's any question about it, we share it. Now, when we post it on the enderf.org website, we have about 70, 80,000 unique visitors every month. So we have a lot of people reading these experiences and they can share us if there's any concerns about them being unreal or plagiarized. In the over 100 questions we ask in our survey, a number of them are the same concepts but slightly different worded questions in different parts of the survey. So we can do the tried and true scientific method of redundant questioning, which helps us to assure that too. Medically, I can, if you will, vet the circumstances they describe and make sure it lines up. But I think the most important key that we have to, to determine the reality of near-death experiences is that what we're getting, what we post on the website, are exactly what other researchers are getting, what they're posting in their uh, publications, uh, talking about in their conferences. Um, we see that tremendous consistency. We see just a very small percentage of near-death experiences that break the pattern. So it's a basic scientific principle that what's real is consistently observed. And when you see that tremendous consistency in the near-death experiences, uh, you figure if there's any falsified ones, especially falsified in the direction away from that general consensus of all the other NDEs, they must be a very, very small percentage indeed. So they go through questions, right? Mm -hmm. like how many questions? Yeah, yeah. Like what's the process of, the, of you trying to weed out, like, is this a real story? Yeah, it, it's over 100 questions. So, and then when we post them, they, we post it anonymously. So it's even if you go through the heroic effort of falsifying an account, you're not going to uh, get any recognition on that. And really the bottom line is falsified accounts do significant harm only if they mislead us in our understanding about the message of near-death experiences as a whole. And given that virtually all near-death experiences are shared validly and pass our vetting process, even those rare near-death experiences that slip through, even if they're not, uh, you know, what's real is consistently observed by consensus of what's described. So those rare outliers that may have been falsified aren't affecting our opinion as to what near-death experiences say based on the overwhelming majority of them. So in your research of these stories, let's kind of, I was curious, what's the scope of it? I mean, are these stories coming from Western yeah. U.S.? Uh, are these worldwide? What's your percentages there? Where are sure. they coming from? Yeah, big, big shout out to my wife, Jody. Uh, even though she's a licensed attorney, she spends her full time as webmaster of Vendurf.org, and she has worked with human volunteers to human translate portions of our enderf.org website and the questionnaire into over 30 different languages. So we have virtually, well, virtually anybody on the planet can find a portion of that website and the questionnaire in their native language. So that's allowed us to do by far the largest cross-cultural study of near-death experience that's ever been possible. Currently, about a third of our near-death experiences come from non-English languages. We have them human translated, post both versions People can see both versions and tell us if it's not a very if it's an accurate translation, which is good. Uh, but we get them from all over the world, including even non-Western countries where uh, not predominantly Judeo-Christian. Yeah, it seems seems that if it starts, you would gather more English-speaking yeah. stories and then move into others. That's really good. That's correct. Um, yeah. So you're going to get a lot of this this afternoon, but let, highlights. You know, from, even from your book, you, you have scanned these thousands of stories and you have found high-level common themes that run throughout each story. Share with us briefly a little bit about those themes. Sure. Well, look, now key, no two near-death experiences are the same, but 
both me and other researchers look at large numbers of them, we see some very consistent elements or what occurs during the near-death experience, typically in very consistent order. For example, there's that life-threatening event, inj injury, accident, they coded, their heart stops. A common initial element is what's called an out-of-body experience. Their consciousness leaves their physical body, typically going over their physical body. From that vantage point, they can see and hear ongoing earthly events, which often include efforts of others trying to resuscitate them, bring them back to life. They then may pass into or through a tunnel. At the end of the tunnel, there's often an unearthly, described as mystical light. And when they're in that, pass through that tunnel, they're typically in that heavenly realm. And did I say heavenly? I mean heavenly. Here's what I've heard times hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. They're in a realm where they may have a, a life review, see a portion or all of their prior life. They may meet deceased loved ones, uh, always, essentially always in picture perfect health. There may be deceased beloved pets there. As you can imagine, these are joyous reunions. There's landscapes that are beautiful beyond anything on earth. In fact, uh, people in near-death experiences will describe colors that are so beautiful, often in the flowers or the plants there, that they have no correlate on earth. They're just beautiful beyond anything even knowable here on earth. They may hear music that is far more beautiful than anything even conceivable in our earthly life. There may be landscapes, there may be other beings, um, and that's, that's uh, sort of a, a, and certainly in this realm, it's non-physical, even though they, they may have been suffering catastro catastrophic pain and misery from what nearly killed them, they have an overwhelming sense of peace. They feel that this is their real home and often describe that feeling powerfully. They say essentially time doesn't exist in that realm. Uh, it is certainly, while there's analogous in what they see to earth, uh, it's certainly a non-earthly, non-physical realm. I mean, heaven, uh, just uh, beauty beyond anything. I mean, I started reading this. I, I sort of had an idea about heaven, but it was it, even as a researcher years and years ago as I became aware of this, that blew my mind how awesome they were, the heaven was that they were describing. So I have to admit, my, my first encounter with a story um, from someone having a near-death experience, I have, you can't help in the back of your mind to think, could this be a hallucination? Uh, you know, they're at a point where chemicals are happening in the body that, you know, is this, does it align or, you know, is there some evidence against, how do you respond to someone that says it's a hallucination or, you know, something that's just the brain's going through while you're dying? I mean, what, sure. what's the... Sure. Uh, it's not a dream, Key, because one yeah. of the first questions I asked in my first survey decades ago was the experience dreamlike in any way and was embarrassed because the overwhelming near-death experience response was no way not even how could you ask that are you kidding and so em embarrassed I never included that question again clearly not a dream hallucinations are unreal ex uh, experiences we see a lot of that in medicine uh, pathologically altered brain However, hallucinations are unreal. They're often much more frightening experiences. Uh, what occurs in it skip around like dreams. And so you really come down to the key question is what's observed in near-death experience seemingly hallucinatory, unreal, or is it real? Well, remember those out-of-body experiences I talked about, what they see and hear of earthly events? Uh, in my study, over 98% of the time, what they see or hear, even while unconscious or clinically dead, is absolutely accurate down to the finest detail. Who came in, what they said, what events were going on around their body actually really happened when they check it out later. Even if their consciousness and that out-of-body experience is geographically far from their physical body, still when they go back and check it out later, 
essentially always what they saw, what they heard, absolutely real down to the finest details. That's impossible unless their consciousness was there, and that's not a hallucination. Moreover, people blind, including totally blind, have described highly visual near-death experiences. That, that never happens in a hallucination. And we even have a good-sized series of near-death experiences while, uh, that occurred when your heart stopped while under general anesthesia. And under that blanket of sleep, you don't have brain function. That's why you generally have to artificially ventilate with a bag or mechanically while they're under that level of general anesthesia. Heart stops. It should be doubly impossible to have any brain function operant at all to produce any experience. And yet these are typical near-death experiences uh, with all the trimmings of near-death experiences occurring under all other circumstances. No reason to believe at all the physical brain function causes near-death experiences. That's good. Well, you know, guys, we were, we were driving in from, uh, Dr. Long, forgive me, because I'm about Joe, to, jump throw, right. I'm, I'm going to throw you some things you out of left field here, because <laughs> I got to you. talking to him in the car on the way here, and I've, I've got two extra questions Great. <laughs> that I'd like to ask. First of all, you say you're doing some new research. Um, would you mind introducing them to what you're, the latest thing right. you've run into and kind of what you're, what right. you're looking at there? The, the new research in the most recent version of the survey, which we'll talk about later on today, you're going to be one of the first groups to hear about this. I was absolutely fascinated by the concept that near-death experiencers, in addition to vividly describing an afterlife, greatly consistently describe encountering or being aware of God. They describe being coming aware of concepts of love. Uh, they have some insights into the meaning and purpose of our earthly life. They have if you will, spiritual concepts that you know, were strikingly impressive to me as a Christian. And so we asked some very direct questions about that, got some narrative responses, and the results were mind-boggling. So we're going to get into that a little bit later on. But uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, it's absolutely fascinating. Okay, suppose we, we have that overwhelming evidence that there really is an afterlife. Obvious next question, well, what does that mean? What goes on there? What, what's, what, is that, what, what is a part of the afterlife? What's that like? Well, we've uh, started to get some answers, so that's that's what's so exciting. That's very good. Um, you're you're sharing with me a story of two people at once, yeah, yeah, having a near death experience, right. and encountering one another. Anything right. you'd like to share? Yeah, I, was, I just uh, flipped that off in the car ride, but you'll, we'll talk more about that later on. But the, that's part of my new research. It's called shared near death experiences. These are the fairly rare circumstances where two or more people have a simultaneous life-threatening event, and they both have near-death experiences. They are see each other, they can communicate with each other, and often do so at great length. Both physical bodies of these people are unconscious or even clinically dead, and yet there's communication. In the series I have, we've got about 16, 18 of these or so that have accumulated over the years. Uh, in this series, generally one person goes on to permanent irreversible death and the other person returns to life and then when they recover from that close brush with death they can share about that communication with the other. But the uh, shared near-death experiences are some of the strongest evidence I'm aware of that what's described in near-death experiences is likely the initial pathway to permanent irreversible death which usually happens to the other person in a shared near-death experience. And so, you know, certainly that seems to be a pathway or for many, most, all, I don't know. But certainly the shared near-death experiences are, are fairly strong evidence that what we hear about in near-death experiences really are that initial pathway to that glorious heavenly afterlife. Now, one, one of the stories you shared with me, I was just like, oh, my goodness. Are you, 
Are you going to share any stories on that this yeah, afternoon? Yeah, okay. we, we got a doozy. You well, betcha. I'm going to save that one for <laughs> you because I'm just reeling after I heard the story of what took place, and uh, I'll save that for this afternoon. Uh, oh. Hopefully you guys will come back for that. But sure. okay. lastly, um, you know, you, you, you're a researcher, you're a scientist, you, you as best you can objectively approach lots of stories, and I love your approach that you took to this particular subject, because it can just be so story-based, and what do you do with it? But yeah. to, to see all of it and your, the research that you've done, um, but you're not just a researcher, you've actually had, uh, you, you were sharing with me a little impact in your life, I mean, this is not just data for you. Talk to us a little bit about when you ran into this, what was yeah. your life like, what were you like, how has this impacted your faith? And, Boy, that's a good question. Yeah, as you can imagine, coming to, to vividly to see that mountain of data uh, has impacted me enormously. When I started my research over 20 years ago, I was at best a lukewarm Christian. I was probably semi-agnostic. I was a show-it-to-me person, a seeker, very much, and you need that as a doctor. You need to, you know, where's the evidence? How, how do we know that with certainty? I mean, I make life-death decisions as a doctor. You know, there has to be some underlying evidence. And so, uh, you know, I was, like I say, at best a lukewarm Christian, and that's probably putting it kindly. But once I started my near-death experience research, over the years that came along with that, and this mountain of evidence grew, and the multiple lines of evidence for the reality of near-death experience and its consistent message of an afterlife grew, uh, I, I grew profoundly as a Christian. I, I don't, literally don't know how you could walk the path I do read about that much about near-death experience and, and not have it change your life. It was everything there in the Bible, afterlife, God, the overwhelming importance of love, uh, the this meaning and significance of our earthly life, even when it's not obvious. Everything I'd heard growing up in the church, it, there it was in the near-death experiences. So that has made me uh, dramatically more strong in my Christian faith, You know, supplemented with that mountain of evidence. Uh, it's helped me to be a better doctor. I can reach out to patients that, that are fighting cancer. As a radiation oncology doctor, that's what I do. I can approach that, uh, walk that journey with them with more courage, with more confidence than ever was possible before, recognizing that even if they succumb to their cancer, as many do, unfortunately, it's not the end. It's simply, and I know very well, based on a mountain of evidence, that there for them is going to be a glorious afterlife, probably beyond anything they could have imagined. Amen. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about your book. Obviously, the books is what contains the bulk of the information from your research. You have um, evidence for the afterlife. We want to encourage you with this. I'm, I'm assuming that's available in the lobby this morning, and you'll be there uh, with people. I think we have a graphic of what that, that book looks like. Um, sure. You're going to get a lot more from, from that particular book and the research that he's done uh, this, this afternoon, but also um, God in the Afterlife. Would you like to speak yeah. into God in the Afterlife? Right. Evidence of the Afterlife was nine lines of powerful evidence for the reality of near-death experience in an afterlife. That stood the test of time. You cannot imagine how many atheists I've debated on media, and uh, I haven't lost a debate because the evidence is just so overwhelming, and that was true even when I published it a decade ago. So we got some of the very beginning, we're scratching the surface of some of those spiritual questions. And I was so fascinated, I went ahead and pulled the trigger and published God in the Afterlife, uh, the groundbreaking new evidence for God and life after uh, the near-death experiences. And so uh, now we have far more data. I closed accrual on my most recent study of questions that led to God in the Afterlife, 834 more near-death experiences. So we've got that all powerfully ready, but certainly I would encourage anybody, we'll have those books for sale back in the lobby. I'm only selling them at the price I paid for them on Amazon. 
certainly when I talk about this with groups, you, could, you can imagine there's going to be some folks with questions. So heck, you don't have to buy a book. Just come hang out with me and ask some questions back here. I, I love, you probably noticed I love talking about this and would be delighted to take any questions and talk more about my books. And we'll have, um, again, a shout out for that conference. We're going to go into much more detail about this, uh, not just me, but many, many other leading thinkers in, the, right. in this realm. And I'm, you know, personally, I'm very much looking forward to that. Amen. Well, uh, so a couple things I want to do as we close up here. Um, first visit, come, come see Dr. Long in the foyer. I know he would love to, to hang out with you this morning. But also come back, 1.30. We begin at 1.30. Uh, we will have session after session all the way up with breaks and all of that sort of thing all the way up to uh, Don Piper tonight. We'll be closing out. Wrote the book 90 Minutes in Heaven. He'll be speaking last around, I think, uh, 5.45, something like that. We'll be all finished here by 7 o'clock tonight. So uh, make sure that you come back. Invite a friend. If this is interesting you in any way, you know someone that's my interest, we would love to minister to them and have, have them here. So make sure that you invite them back. And lastly, Dr. Long, thank you for being with us. Hadn't he blessed you uh, today? Thank you for being here and answering questions. We're going to close out and dismiss here, but let me, let's pray together. Would you bow with me all across the room? Father, we just thank you for this morning. And Lord, uh, we thank you for the reality that we know that you have spoken, Lord, through your son, Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in him, in you, even though we die, we live. You have us. Father, I'm just reminded that could be the most powerful truth any human being can hear. Thank you for breaking the power of the fear of death in our lives and liberating us to live free. And to live full. It doesn't hang over our head every day of our life. We thank you. We give you praise. And Lord, as we look into the lenses of people's experience this afternoon, uh, encourage our hearts in this. Uh, strengthen us in our faith. As these stories could in some way supplement your word. And so Lord, we, we commit that to you. Lord, we even think and we're mindful now of people who need to hear this word and be encouraged in this way. Uh, Lord, put people on our minds that we can invite to come back. Um, and Lord, we pray even for the conference this afternoon, uh, Lord, that all that's said and done would be bring glory and honor to you. And so, Lord, thank you for this morning. And Lord, I, I even pray maybe a person in this room, a person watching on the stream, um, being intrigued I know this conversation has the power that you use it for people to be confronted with the reality of God, that you are real, and that you have made us, and you have made us eternal. You have put eternity into our hearts, and we all know that this thing called death, is there's something wrong with that. And Lord, when we confront it, and we think about it, you're leading us to you. Lord, I pray that if there's a person in this assembly or on that stream that is feeling this, that they would feel their way toward you, as Paul said, and Lord, that they would seek after you and you'd show yourself to them more and more from your word. And so, Lord, may today be the day when a person begins a, either a pursuit of God or even finds you. 
follows you and finds life. And so, Lord, we, we ask for that. And we ask you to encourage us in that. Take charge of this response time. Lord, I know you've spoken to hearts all across this room in multiple ways, I'm sure. Holy Spirit, you're in our midst, and we pray that you'd minister to us. Lord, help us to f- respond to you in, in ways that uh, we need to right now. Pray for those who need to know you. Uh, so, Lord, as we sing, as we um, sing this song to you, as we pray, as we respond to you, Lord, minister to us. And we ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We stand with me all across the room. This is the time we just sing to the Lord. And we're going to maybe just use it as a, a, a time of prayer. Uh, maybe you'd like to engage with the Lord, pray for someone. Uh, that's what this time is all about. Let's respond to the Lord right now as we sing this song.